In love for you, God has made you a person of faith, love and hope. Paul says these three things abide, these things remain forever. Love, faith and hope. We talked yesterday about our need to be a sanctified people, a holy people, a people, therefore, that are really revealing more and more of the character of Jesus in our lives because he lived in that holiness. It's much more than simply living in purity. Yes, God wants us to have pure hearts. But God wants us to be a people of faith, a people of love, a people of hope, because this is what holiness is in practice. We need, we need to live in the good of the holy nature, of the divine nature that God has given us, that we saw right at the beginning uh, of these three weeks of prayer and fasting. But we need to see how these three great truths are operating together in unity in our lives, both personally and corporately within the body of Christ. Now, sometimes people say to me, well, I have faith. And I say, where do you have it? Does it itch? <laughs> you see, faith is not a feeling. Faith is not something you have. Faith is a way of life. It's a, it's a way of living in constant trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore trust in his word, belief in his promises, that he will fulfill in you everything that he desires to do and everything that he's promised to do. So it's not just a question of having faith for the answers to specific prayers but to becoming a person of faith where you are living by faith day by day of course if that is true of you then when you come to prayer you will pray with faith when you worship you will worship with faith when you speak and interact with others that faith will be operating in your life and when that is the case then God can speak through you he can work through you he can reveal himself through you to other people because it's not you that you are wanting to communicate to other people, but Christ in you. The secret is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, we've seen also that as the body of Christ, we are to be a body of love, that in the new covenant that God has made us part of, that he will always be faithful to all his children of the new covenant, that this is a new covenant of love, that we are to love God with all our hearts, soul, minds and strength, we're to love our neighbours ourselves. but then there's this new command that we are to love one another as he has loved us. So Paul says the only thing that counts is faith working through love. And that has been a text that we have had over kingdom faith ever since its inception. We used to have it printed on our, our notepaper at the bottom, faith working through love. Um, of course, these days it's nearly all emails, isn't it? But still, this is the principle that we want to see operating in every aspect of our lives, both personally and corporately. 
Paul says at the beginning of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that, you know, if we have faith but without love, then we're empty. It's like, you know, being a, a banging gong or a clashing cymbal. No, the faith has to work through love. In other words, God gives us the love for those for whom we pray, the love for those for whom we're concerned, the love for those to whom we're witnessing, that then the faith of God will be conveyed to them in love. You see, you can communicate the truth in a very hard and harsh way. So there are some people that do that, and it can be quite offensive. It can put people off because it makes them feel condemned if they don't have enough faith. But when you communicate your faith in love, then people are encouraged, they're built up. And we always need to pray, Lord, give me a love for this person. Give me a love for, for the ones for whom I'm praying every day. Give me a love for the sick. Give me a love for the lost. Your, your heart for them. Your compassion for them. See, the wonderful thing is that in the humanity of Jesus, he had compassion for the mass of people. Oh, he could see that... that uh, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they manipulated the people, they, they, they used the people really for, for their own uh, ends and means. But not Jesus, no. And this is why the, the crowds flocked to Jesus. They were drawn by that love. Of course, he was making them a people of faith. And he was saying to people, your faith has healed you. Your faith has done this. Your faith has done that. But all the time, you see, it was faith being communicated in love. And I think sometimes, you know, we can be in a situation where the faith is operating, but the love isn't operating. And so God waits for the love to operate along with the faith before we really see the release of God in that particular situation. Now, what is the relationship between faith and hope? Hope relates to what God will do in the future. For example, part of our hope is that Jesus will come again. Now, we have faith that Jesus will come again. We believe that with all of our hearts. But believing it today doesn't make it happen today. It's part of the hope. It's part of what God says he will do in the future. Another part of your hope is that when you die and leave this earth, you will go to heavenly glory to be with the Lord forever. But that doesn't make it happen now. It will only happen when you die physically and go to be with the Lord in paradise. Part of your hope. But you see, that means that as a people of hope, we're always looking to the future with confidence, with great expectation. Now, let me ask you a question. Revival. Most Christians, certainly all those who know and love the Lord, want personal revival. They want to see revival in the church. They want to see a move of the Spirit that will impact the nation and bring many, many more people to faith and to see many more people being set free by the power of God. But just wanting that to happen doesn't make it happen. Now, do we regard that as something in the future, part of our hope, or do you think God wants you to regard this with faith? That he doesn't want our expectation of revival always to be in the future because then that's just hope. 
Or does he want us to believe, now, Lord, I'm laying my life on the line so that you can revive me, so that you can work in me in the way that you desire. I want revival in my life now. Now, the great revivalist Charles Finney, he experienced revival over about 40 years of ministry. He would always maintain, you can have revival anywhere you like, anytime you like, so long as you're prepared to pay the cost. Now, that's someone who's got experience of revival, and I would say from my own experience of revival, that's absolutely right. The point is not that people aren't praying for revival. Lots of people are praying for revival. The question is, are they paying the cost that will enable that revival to happen so that instead of it being a future hope, it becomes a present reality? What is the cost? Exactly what we've been we've been saying during these last few days. I've actually been leading you step by step, day by day, on a whole process of revival. And you see, the, the point is this, that if we really are serious about wanting revival, not just for ourselves, you see, but for the whole church, in order that many, many more people may be saved, saved from hell and, and have a heavenly inheritance, if we really are serious about that, then we're ready to lay our lives on the line. We're ready to say, Lord, deal with all the unholy, all the ungodly, all the things in my life that grieve you, that hinder me from being the person you want me to be and bearing witness that you want me to witness. This is the cost. And it's the cost that Jesus made clear when he talked to the disciples about what it meant to be a disciple that if any man would follow after him, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow him. You see, what are we doing? We're denying those things of self that stand in contradiction to the life of God and his Holy Spirit within us. We're asking God to deal with all those things and to set us free from all those things. Beloved, this is where the truth of God really begins to bite. This is where it really begins to have a, a, a deep and significant impact on our lives, greater than we've known in the past. It's when we really say, Lord, I'm really serious about this. Jesus said those who seek to save their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives, who lose their souls, who lose that, that human life for my sake, they will find it. But what does he mean? Those who will really submit that human nature to the divine nature, just as Jesus did when he was on earth. These are the people that God is going to revive. These are the people that God is going to use to bring blessing into the lives of a multitude of other people. This is what he wants for us, beloved. This is what he is going to do amongst us. Will you be part of it? You see, you can have a situation where some people are revived, but others are just spectators of those that are being revived. No, no, God doesn't want you to be a spectator. He wants you to be a revived person. And you can be if you're prepared to pay the cost. All that I am. All that I have belongs to you, Lord. Do with me as you please. Thank you for listening to this Kingdom Faith podcast. We trust it's been an encouragement to you. 
For more information and resources from Kingdom Faith and our other audio and video podcasts, please visit www.kingdomfaith.com.